Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Contact tracing set to begin on the Isle of Wight. If you're watching this and you live on the Isle of Wight, please download the app to protect the NHS and save lives. Bodies on the streets and presidents in denial. We look into reports that Latin America is emerging as a new virus epicentre. Brazil's far-right president Jair Bolsonaro continues to play down the COVID-19 pandemic. And could the crisis mean curtains for British theatre? This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. The UK will start testing a contact tracing app on those living on the Isle of Wight from Tuesday. NHS chiefs say a high take-up of the app is key to saving lives and helping ease the UK out of its lockdown. The app uses Bluetooth to monitor phones and alerts those who've come into close contact with people confirmed to have the virus. It comes amid concerns regarding the privacy of the monitoring system, but today Health Secretary Matt Hancock said that privacy was paramount. The data is stored on an individual's phone, uh, not uh, by the um, uh, by the NHS until somebody uh, finds that they've got symptoms and then they need a test. And so they need to connect to the NHS and then you need to uh, the NHS needs to contact those who you've been in contact with. Uh, And so the uh, the this has this has the highest level of um, privacy uh, built in. It comes as 288 people were confirmed to have died with COVID-19 in the UK, the lowest daily figure since the end of March. The app will be part of a number of measures aimed at easing the lockdown safely. The Telegraph has seen seven government documents laying out how the public's expected to return to work. They include recommendations such as minimising hot desking and leaving lifts half empty. Our economics reporter Lizzie Burden has the story. The Telegraph has seen copies of the business department's draft guidelines on how the economy should reopen. And it's safe to say we're going to be working in a new normal for the foreseeable future. So there were seven documents of advice to shops, offices, then hotels, restaurants and bars, factories, plants and warehouses, people who work in other people's homes like cleaners, couriers and lorry drivers and people who work outdoors. And the bottom line repeated in each document was that everyone should work from home unless they can't. Social distancing is also going to continue as employers are asked to consider installing screens between desks and requiring workers to sit back to back or side to side instead of face to face. 
The other thing is, it seems the nine to five's over for now, as all types of business have been asked to consider staggering arrival and departure times for employees to reduce bottlenecks at entry and exit points. Now, conspicuously, there was no mention of whether workers will have to wear PPE and face masks or who'd be responsible for providing them. And the documents just say guidance will follow on this. A lot of businesses are asking whether it'll be on them to provide the PPE as they're already struggling financially. And there are also questions about whether this will put firms in direct competition with the NHS to procure what's already a very scarce resource. We also don't know yet when businesses will be allowed to reopen under the new guidelines, but there's no doubt this opens a Pandora's box of legal questions over whether companies will be liable if workers catch the virus or if they refuse to go back to work if the guidelines aren't followed to the letter. And on the other hand, what's the point of issuing the guidelines if firms don't have to follow them? A lot of firms will be worried also about the huge costs of these new measures, which ultimately aren't an investment, but are so necessary because the worst case scenario for everyone clearly is staff and customers catching the virus. The NHS Nightingale Hospital in London is to stop admitting patients and will only resume operations again if needed. The pop-up hospital was opened to treat coronavirus patients in early April in what was formerly a large exhibition space in London's Docklands. It could have seen up to 80 wards, but it never had to expand beyond one. The Telegraph's chief political correspondent, Christopher Hope, reports. Matt Hancock was rightly praised for building those seven Nightingale hospitals for the NHS to cope with the expected influx of patients from the COVID-19 crisis. But the patients never came. And that's why the Nightingale in East London is getting mothballed from next week. There are questions to be asked here and they are difficult ones to ask in the middle of a pandemic. But the truth is only one of the remaining six Nightingales, Manchester, has anyone in it at all. The rest are either being completed or are empty. Extra surplus awaiting these patients. And other questions will be asked at some point about whether the government wrongly prioritised these hospitals over PPE and over testing. But the time for that is not now. For now, we must salute the NHS for building these amazing hospitals on time and they serve the purpose which, to our great relief, was not required. A virtual conference has seen world leaders pledge billions to combat COVID-19. The funds will be used towards efforts to accelerate diagnostics, vaccines and treatments to combat the virus. President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, mobilised 1 billion euros. The UK pledged 441 million. The event aims to raise at least 7 billion euros in total. Prime Minister Boris Johnson addressed the conference. He stressed the importance of a global response. The race to discover the vaccine to defeat this virus is not a competition between countries, but the most urgent shared endeavour of our lifetimes. It's humanity against the virus. We're in this together and together we will prevail. It comes as the number of confirmed cases across the world passed three and a half million. North America and European countries account for the highest numbers of new cases reported in recent days, but cases arising from smaller bases across Africa, in Russia and notably in Latin America. The daily death toll in Brazil is now starting to outstrip some of the worst affected countries in Europe. Ewan Marshall reports from Sao Paulo. With coronavirus cases rising all across Latin America, there are fears that the region could become the world's next COVID-19 epicentre. 
In Ecuador, the virus's spread has led to harrowing scenes on the streets of the country's biggest cities, with families literally forced to leave the bodies of their loved ones on the pavement. There is pandemonium in El Salvador's jails, as the government has forced rival gang members to share cramped cells amid criticism the Salvadoran president, Nayib Bukele, is using the COVID-19 epidemic as an excuse to launch a bloody war against organised crime. Cases are also surging in Peru, Chile, Venezuela and Mexico, despite some brief hopes that these countries had begun to flatten the coronavirus curve. The hardest hit nation by far, however, is Brazil. With over 100,000 cases and 7,000 deaths, a third of which were recorded in the last seven days, the country is facing a collapse of the healthcare systems in many major cities. In Manaus, the biggest city in Brazil's Amazon region, a boom in deaths and a shortage of gravediggers have left some citizens forced to bury deceased family members themselves. Queues of ambulances have been seen outside intensive care facilities, simply waiting for patients to die in order to free up beds. While official numbers are already high, a lack of testing and inconsistent data suggests the real extent of the virus's spread in Brazil is much higher. These were fears that were even voiced by the government itself. Meanwhile, Brazil's far-right president Jair Bolsonaro continues to play down the COVID-19 pandemic referring to the disease as a little flu on a number of occasions. In mid-March, the lights of London's West End theatres went dark for the first time since the Second World War. Some shows were postponed until at least the 31st of May, others were cancelled altogether. But for those of us hoping for some theatrical escapism after the lockdown measures are eased, expectations were today tempered by noted theatre producer Sir Cameron Mackintosh, whose stage shows including Les Miserables and The Phantom of the Opera. He rejected the feasibility of social distancing in theatres and said venues on both sides of the Atlantic are unlikely to stage musicals until early next year. The closures and the uncertainty are placing a serious financial burden on the industry. Dominic Cavendish is the Telegraph theatre critic. He says some of the industry will survive. The question is, how much? Those who work in British theatre are strivers and fighters and they're doing everything they can to keep things going in readiness for reopening. But that reopening looks ever more likely to be in 2021. We just had Chichester Festival Theatre announce the cancellation of its 2020 season and Cameron McIntosh is openly talking about hibernating his productions, including Les Mis, Hamilton and the Book of Mormon to next year. There may be some activity this year, but theatre owners, venue managers and producers are all saying that if social distancing is woven into the fabric of the government's approach for the remainder of the year, that spells curtains in the short term. Whether it spells a more profound crisis depends on how much support the sector now gets. Aside from the ongoing cost of maintaining buildings and employing key personnel, there are thousands upon thousands of freelancers on whom the industry depends. It would be really unwise, I think, to assume they'll still be there at the drop of a hat. And additionally, of course, we know that audience figures, not least from overseas tourism, will be considerably dented in the immediate term. But, you know, from the passionate conversations I've had with regular theatre goers right up to the moment of closure, I know how many are mad keen to see shows as soon as things are back up and running. And I think that's grounds for optimism. And some theatre owners I've spoken to are talking about a third way, which realistically handles the interactions of the public and those involved in the productions as safely as possible while the latest medical protections and procedures are gradually brought into play. And I really think we should listen to those voices, however risky that 
might sound. I worry personally that a fixed set of scientific criteria that doesn't take into account the mitigating measures you could put into a theatre environment, or indeed just the health-giving value of the art form itself, could throw the baby out with the bathwater. To be frank, March has been shocking. April was depressing, albeit it was loads to watch online digitally. In May, we must now see a plan from government that recognises Theatreland won't survive if it's assumed it can simply take care of itself or wait endlessly in the wings. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. I'll have your next update on Tuesday evening. Until then, you can read all our news and analysis free for the first week of your subscription when you go to telegraph.co.uk slash audio. And for just £3 a week after that, on the same page, you'll find details of our student subscription. That's 85% off. If you know a student who you think might be interested, do, of course, tell them. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, the email address is coronaviruspodcast at telegraph.co.uk. If you record your question in a voice memo, you might well hear your voice on the next episode. If your question is about schools and when and how they might reopen, our education editor, Camilla Turner, is holding a live Q&A on just that on our website at 1pm on Tuesday. I'll put details of how to join that in the show notes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.